Hey y'all, this is Mallory Smart. Welcome to Off the Record, a mini episode of Textual Healing. Today we have a reading from Scout Tafoya. So this is a, an excerpt from But God Made Him a Poet, watching John Ford in the 21st century. Um, I'm choosing to read the passage on the 1947 film The Fugitive, which John Ford made with the help of a great Mexican filmmaker named Emilio Fernandez. And I was tempted to pick something by Nick Cave, just because so much of his music, whether the soundtracks or uh, the music he made with The Bad Seeds, kind of captures the American character so well, but I decided to go with something a little more upbeat, um, and so I'm, I'm choosing to pair this with uh, Calexico's The News About William from their album Carried to Dust, which has a uh, more sprightly sort of a feel and captures the kind of uh, beauty of landscapes they conjure in the mind with all their music, which is why I, uh, I've loved them for so long. I wonder who the first director was to use Brechtian alienation in their stage direction. Other than Brecht himself, of course. Georg William Pabst, maybe? This film opens with starkly stunning images of Henry Fonda doing a bit of his fugitive thing, running around and looking all nervous. The credits include Pedro Abandaris and Gabriel Figueroa. Indeed, the transportation of Ford, Fonda, and company to Mexico is sort of its own alienation device, sort of a the John Ford Stock Company hit spring break thing that relies on the audience knowing about the director and his baggage, i.e. Michael Sosinski's description of the death of Louis XIV as the Albert Sarah Gang meets the Sun King, and then an elemental character list. A fugitive, an Indian woman, El Gringo, that's Ward Bond if you couldn't have guessed, an organ grinder, a hostage, etc. It's based on a novel, not a play, which took me by surprise. Even more surprising, the novel was by Graham Greene, who had been sued after writing a negative review of a Ford film called Wee Willie Winky back in 1938. You can call that burying the hatchet, I guess, but it's not like the film did anything for Greene's career. Joseph McBride hates this film and called it revenge for the review. It made zero dollars and zero cents at the box office, and its only defender for years was Ford himself. Now it's him and me. Going to Mexico to make a movie was placing himself in the tradition of Sergei Eisenstein, who'd gone down there to make his own failed experiment in the 30s. These are the thick of the anti-clerical wars rocking Mexico, which provide the backdrop for Ford's film. We don't really talk about the Cristero Wars these days, do we? Years of corrupt and violent regimes wound up leaving the keys to the Mexican war machine in the ignition during the Roaring Twenties, though roaring for a different reason. One government would promise one thing, another would step in and kind of half-heartedly enforce the promises of the last guys, and then a third government still would step in, vehemently opposed to what the last several had been up to. That kind of explains how President Venustiano Carranza and his successor, General Alvaro Obregón, left the country in a shambling state with enough violent tensions that, after both men were killed, Carranza by later President Lazaro Cardenas, Plutarco Elias Calles, let a war ravage the country. 
Obregón, and Carranza, and indeed Adolfo de la Huerta, their successor. None of them were staunchly anti-Catholic. They were mostly busy trying to keep six or seven pots from boiling over in their own administrations, and failed, mostly. Hence, all the assassinations. Obregón, however, was killed by a Catholic dissident after Calle started a campaign of repression against the Catholic clergy, and this morphed without much provocation into the military killing thousands of people. Calle's legacy will always be complicated by the war, though his aims were otherwise less bloodthirsty. He succeeded in redistributing a lot of land to the poor, though he, like so many others, was publicly anti-communist. Cristero was a derogatory term for the Catholic fighters. They were feeling pushed out by the clampdown by traditionalists against the Catholics, a process that had begun decades earlier fought a brutal war against the Constitutionalists, and all in all, 250,000 people are thought to have died in this conflict. One of the interim presidents who inherited the war was Emilio Portes Gil, who worked hard to get it sorted out, offering amnesty to everyone he could and trying to get people to stop killing each other. He'd later give amnesty to Augusto Sandino to try and save him from assassination by the U.S., which didn't work. Anyway, for those three years, Mexico saw more bloodshed than at almost any other time in its history. Green's research trip to Tabasco and Mexico made him a lifelong Catholic, but a problematic one. The church didn't love that its faith found expression in stories of drunk priests. It is against this backdrop that many classic novels have been written, including Green's The Power and the Glory, B. Travin's The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Juan Rulfo's Pedro Paramo, and Malcolm Lowry's Under the Volcano. Ford, unsurprisingly, was so taken with the Mexican landscape, and his friend Emilio Fernandez's crew and rep company that he threw out most of the script and just kind of vibed for the whole shoot. He later described the experience like it was an awakening. Fernandez and Figueroa rubbed off on Ford in the best way. The two had been making unbelievably beautiful work together for the last several years, including the classic Maria Candelaria and their own John Steinbeck adaptation, The Pearl, released that same year. Fernandez was part of an international cadre of directors that Ford loved, along with Akira Kurosawa. This was Ford's first film with Argosy, the production company he mounted, with RKO's Marion Cooper, using RKO as a distributor, hence King Kong's Robert Armstrong in the cast, a magnificent turn as a loudish cop, platonic ideal of the independent production. Fonda plays one of the last Catholic priests on the run from Caius's soldiers. He travels from place to place, a step ahead of the law, bringing himself as low as he can stand to continue on his way. A harrowing Orson Welles-esque chapter finds him degrading himself for a bottle of wine. I like the scene better if it's unclear whether he's going to consecrate it, but I doubt Ford intended the breathing room. J. Carroll Nash appears to Fonda like Yosuke Kobazuka to Andrew Garfield in Martin Scorsese's silence, testing him, leading him to his downfall. But every religious hero must have one. The ultimate humbling... Green intended the priest to be one of his conflicted martyrs at the crux of historical derangement, like Holly Martin's in The Third Man. But Ford turns him into the risen Jesus in just two shots. The film's imagistic ponderousness turned everyone off, but this is basically how movies are now. Less good, of course, but Nicholas Winding reference every movie is like the neon fugitive. So everyone who imitates him, David Lowry, Robert Eggers, Denny Villeneuve, Trey Edward Schultz, is doing the same bit. That's a lot of undeserving little orphans running around. We've already established that Paul Schrader and Robert Bresson had stripped a lot of Ford for parts, but this is like their user manual. Ford being Ford, he makes this a matter of the Calle stripping Cristeros of their crosses and throwing them in jail. San Nino didn't quite come to that same conclusion while he was in Mexico, and though he may not have been able to shoot a picture like Ford, I am inclined to take his word about this. 
Ford tries to reframe it as an issue of social cooperation, but he renders it tricklier than usual. Ford's vision of Mexico is roughly equal to Walt Disney's. Indeed, this and the three caballeros are all but aesthetic twins, so richly designed and easy to fall into, so very blinkered in their perspective, and something like the inverse of Eisenstein, though there's little denying that few who ever set out to capture Mexico's essence did more than write postcards. This, at least, is striking, overpowering even. Light has never looked so much like God's own cigarette.